the moonshine jesus show brought to you by progressivechristianity.org hope that you will check out the wonderful resources available there and on their social media pages and that you'll follow us on our social media page and that you'll find moonshine jesus show wherever you get your podcast i am here today as always with my good buddy mark sandlin how are you doing today mark I am doing really well, sir. I'm looking forward to the show. I always like this is what, like my favorite part of the week. I love getting together, geeking out, doing a little theopolitical talk around shows that I would be watching anyway. So this is the best. Yeah. I love it. It is, right? It's so much fun yeah. that even on our day off, a, a holiday, we are still doing Moonshine Jesus show. Of course we are. Of course we are, because it's so much fun. Today yeah. we are talking about 3,000 Years of Longing. It is a movie from 2022, so you have had a chance to see it. But just in case you haven't watched it yet, we should let you know that there will be spoilers if you oh, stay tuned. Yeah. That is our favorite thing to do, spoil the show <laughs> for you. <laughs> You're Mark, welcome. what are you drinking yeah. today? Well, I uh, just went online and uh, mm -hmm. looked up some genie related drinks i found one uh -huh. simply called genie and it's very mm -hmm. simple it's just cherry vodka and blue carousel uh and i've 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 decorated it with some purple sprinkles to give it that little extra magical feel uh what did yeah. you go with sir i, I love yours because it purple it's purple and blue with two of the yeah. colors that the gin kind of has in, absolutely in and so the yeah. other color that was a part of his smoke emanation was red and so red, i exactly. also went online and looked up this time a gin gin ah uh, gin gin d -G like or d j i n n right and so of course it's made with gin, gin. Yeah, imagine that g i n vermouth lemon juice and sparkling grapefruit water lovely so lovely. the gin gin cheers, cheers to you mark yeah how is it um it tastes like cough syrup <laughs> <laughs> but you know what it's the first time i've made a drink for the show that i really am not picking up. i could but, I, I had but, to ask you right away because i could see it in your face I, <laughs> I i'm a trooper i'm a trooper i will power through this i will still consume this drink for the sake of the show because the show matters the show it, must go on it must go on and i'm not a big uh gin drinker but i thought the uh the uh, play on words was too good beautiful so, play on yeah. words absolutely so I'll suffer through mine too. Hey, okay, let's uh, try to uh, sip a, a few more sips on these <laughs> drinks as, right. as we move into our geeking out segment. We'll be right back after the drop. Moonshine Jesus Show. You're joining us for our Geek Out segment where we geek out about the show we're talking about. But just to catch those up who maybe haven't seen or heard about 3,000 Years of Longing, it is a, a modern grown-up fairy tale that looks at life, love, and loss. And in it, Dr. Althea Benny meets a djinn who uh, offers her three wishes in exchange for his freedom 
while she's in uh, Istanbul for a narratological conference, and yes, that's an actual job and word, you can look it up, a narratological <laughs> conference. And uh, as an expert in mythology and story, she is aware of the all the uh, cautionary tales of wishes gone awry. Uh, the Jinn makes his case uh, by uh, sharing with her his sad yet amazing tales from his life as a Jinn. Uh, and however, rather than rush into the three wishes and set them free, they both realize that they need each other in order to fill gaping holes in their lives. And in the end, though, she surprises both of them with her final wish. So I'm curious, you and I uh, just kind of picked this because we couldn't find much else that was out there. It seemed to fit into the categories of, of what we did. It had Tilda Swinton and mm -hmm. Ed, Edris Elba, both great actors. So we knew that there was going to be some value in this. The director mm -hmm. is the same director from Mad Max, the most recent one. I can't remember the, it's not Thunderdome. Oh, it's Fury the, Road. Fury Road. Yeah. Fury Road. Yeah. Same director, same director. So we had pretty good feeling that it could be decent. So I'm curious though, what was your take on it? How did you feel about it after watching it? I thought, uh, especially the opening lines were uh, gold for people yeah. who are interested in any kind of mythology, and right. uh, certainly for folks like us who build our profession around <laughs> thinking through that kind of ancient mythology and uh, mm -hmm. how we make meaning out of uh, ancient stories. I thought Absolutely. that uh, thinking through that was um, was was very advantageous i, I like that yeah. as far as the movie as a whole i i yeah. thought were i not interested in those things i'm not sure the movie would have been my <laughs> cup of tea yeah, yeah. what what did yeah. what, what parts of it that were were not where you needed them to be well i i enjoyed uh i hearing some uh, the i enjoyed hearing the gins journey uh to the modern age and some of his experiences uh it didn't feel like much of a movie though it didn't it didn't provide me the entertainment value i think that i wanted yeah. from it mark you know it felt it felt more like an episode <laughs> of uh of a tv show uh than it did mm. a, a movie what i'm saying is i think this got a six minute standing ovation at the Cannes film festival I'm not sure I would have been um, standing yeah. <laughs> and offering the right. it, It's Fair good. Enough. I liked it for what it was, yeah. but uh, I can see why it didn't make a whole lot of money. I, I'm not sure that it has a mass appeal. I, I actually <laughs> what think, do you that think? This is, I think this is a show that's main appeal and main audience are, are really high end yeah. narrative uh, consumers, people who really are get into, I mean, this is a show that is ultimately talking about itself as it does its whole thing. As mm -hmm. it, I mean, it, 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 there's that kind of complex um, storytelling going on that it's talking about itself as it's telling the story that it's telling. Um, I did find it weird that basically the entire, the entire movie outside of flashbacks happens in a hotel room. Right. I mean, there's really, no, I mean, I think that's part of the problem. My, I had problem with the pacing. It just felt, there were times yeah. where it felt plotting, man. It just felt like, yeah. come on, get on with this. Now we would shift into the stories of the Jin telling, you know, his three sad stories of how he fell in right. love and was ultimately captured because of it or trapped again because of it. And those I felt like had pretty good pacing within those small mm -hmm. windows. 
Uh, they and and for me, they did feel like kind of each of those felt like their own television episodes. Like each of his stories felt a lot like three different television episodes. But there was a lot of I thought complexity going on in how the story was being told. But you have to really be interested in construct the the construction of narrative, the construction of storytelling to give a crap about what's going on, or to even notice that some stuff is going on that really makes this. A somewhat, and I mean somewhat, clever movie. Um, I don't know. Is that fair? I think that's a fair assessment because um, I I would find myself kind of into the stories that he was talking as three sad tales, as you say, and right. find myself uh, as they go back to the hotel room thinking, "Oh yeah, we're we're still here. We're, <laughs> we're still, still we're still." Like, but yeah, I mean, I think I. Uh, as we're talking about, you know, making uh, making sense of our lives through myth, as we're hearing uh, a, a myth to kind of make a commentary on love and life, I, I think is is a, a smart uh, play. So at the very beginning, we get the uh, I think the opening line: "My story is true." But yeah. you're more likely to believe it, believe it as a fairy tale. Absolutely. And, and she tells this. And so it sets mm -hmm. the whole movie up in that yep. way as kind of a fairy tale to make the commentary on, on love and needing other people. And so I did yeah. like that piece of it. And mm -hmm. I, I found that valuable. Um, yeah, there were great lines in it. And, and if we have time in the segment, I'm going to yep. go back to a couple of them that won't, I don't think, spoil our next segment. Uh, but I have a big question for you, because this okay. one, this really kind of, I found it perplexing very, until I thought more about it. I found it very yeah. perplexing. Why did Alethea fall in love with the djinn so quickly? Like, she yeah. falls in love with him within a day of meeting him. Yeah. You know, I, I'm just curious, what what was behind that? What do you think? But both in the bigger picture, but also just in the narrative of the story, how are they justifying her falling in love with him that quickly? I found that kind of frustrating because in the the hour, right. hour and 15 minutes leading up to this, she had a deep distrust of the djinn. And yep. even through hearing the story, said, I'm not going to wish uh, make any wishes. I I know that you're a trickster and um, I'm not interested in participating mm -hmm. in this. I know how these, this always works out. Right. And um, I, I did think it was clever that we had seen through the stories kind of uh, when there's a realization of love, kind of this big gulp. And you can see Alethea taking the big gulp, mm -hmm. uh, you know, mm -hmm. as she kind of falls in love. Uh, I think we're meant to say uh, that through his stories of of being isolated and finding love and realizing that he needed another person, that she is thinking about her own isolation, even uh -huh. though she feels yep. herself being happy and feeling drawn to to someone else i don't know i'm not sure i bought it no i, I kind of I, I kind of agree with what you were just going yeah. towards so as a matter of fact that's yeah. what ultimately saved it for me and made me start to like the movie even a little bit better because i do think there's some very clever writing going on here we, we have three stories from the gin in the first one the gin talks about sheba and how he was really in love with sheba mm -hmm. but how king solomon comes along and steals sheba away and in that, Alethea has to see her relationship with Jack and Emmeline Park Porter coming and stealing, mm -hmm. stealing right. away Jack. 
And then the second story, you have King Murray, who is like, spends most of the story being distracted by stories, by storytelling. Mm -hmm. And the djinn ends up in that part feeling very lonely, ignored in the midst of all of this. Yeah. And those are things that Alethea very heavily identifies with. So you've got her yeah. re-seeing herself in his story again. Um, mm -hmm. And then in the third story, story of the djinn longing for happiness, uh, either with Zephyr or in the djinn realm somehow, which is also what Alethea is ultimately longing for, is some kind of, of happiness. And in that story, Zephyr uh, feels like a, 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 a prisoner. She feels like a prisoner both in her marriage and ultimately in her relationship with the djinn. And of course, mm -hmm. Alethea uh, was kind of a, a prisoner of her own past and her lack of emotions and only being able to find those in stories. So to me, I realized, okay, I get, I think I get what I'm, what you're telling me now. I wasn't sure whether yeah. the djinn was just like magically aware and made her connect with him by making her identify mm -hmm. or if it was a real connection, yeah. but I kind of see how that happened. Uh, and also she tells us early on that she finds emotion and love in the in the stories that she reads mm -hmm. and the gym is this masterful storyteller so it pulls out that emotion and love which no one else seems to have been able to do in her life so i to a small degree i kind of get like i think what was going on and why yeah. they tried to justify i mean am i am i, am I, stre am I stretching point. it too much uh, that's a good point. And one line that is coming back to me is as she's falling in love with the djinn, she says she wants to be a part of the story. She wants yeah. him mm -hmm. to tell her story. And so in yeah. her being a narratologist and finding meaning in the story, being a part of one of those stories, I suppose, makes makes some sense. I think, though, uh, it also does some disservice to her character because she's uh, by her own admission, quite content with who she is. And right. it, it does make well, it seem like you have to have, you don't think she, she is? Says I, she I mean, is. She's, she has, I a, she has a full I life, honestly, an academic career. I think I, she's I honestly uh, think, saying that you have to have a romantic interest to find, to find meaning I, in life. You have I don't, to have I don't know. I don't know that it's yeah. saying that you have to. I yeah. think that it's saying that she's fooled herself into believing that that's a life that's satisfactory for her. And that she, there is something. I mean, it's right there in the title because it's, it's not just the Jen's longing; it's also her longing. Mm -hmm. I think she has been longing to find that emotional connection somehow outside of stories. So, I, I'm going to read. I want to get to two different quotes that I want okay. to get your yes. get your get your take on. Because one of the things that was really good about this, the writing, I think, really is great writing. I don't know mm -hmm. that it's great writing for a movie, but it was great writing. There was a lot of stuff yeah. going on. There were there were lots of mirroring going on, but there was also just some beautiful lines. And I want to get a response on two of them. The first yeah. one is, she says, love is not something we come to by reason. It's more of a vapor, a dream, perhaps to lure us into enchantment, the in, lure us into the enchantment of our own stories. <clears throat> If that's so, how are we to know if it's ever real, she says? Is it truth or is it simply a madness? Do you What do you think about this statement? Is there any real truth in that, that uh, love is not something we can come to by reason, but it's a, like more of a vapor or a dream? And ultimately, how do we ever know if it's real? I think that, uh, that so I think it's interesting that in ancient Greek, they differentiated between types of love and in English we don't 
And I mm. think it depends on the type of love you're talking about. But I think if you're talking about romantic love, in a lot of ways, that does often defy reason. Right. And uh, and there's truth to that, that there's something, even sometimes when it's not reasonable, you find yourself uh, in, in some kind of a, a, in, in love. And so I think that that is something that, that can be a little more uh, hard to define, can be a little more uh, vaporous and, uh, and uh, in some respects can, uh, can also tie into like infatuation. I think if you're talking about uh, love, the, like agape love, like <laughs> right. I was talking about Eros love, right? If you're talking mm -hmm. about like agape love, like love of neighbor and stuff, I think that that uh, uh, can be more rational. And sometimes you have to ration your way into loving somebody Absolutely. because, because uh, they're irrational. <laughs> Right, their right. actions don't necessarily lend to it really easily. Yeah. Right, no. they really don't. And so you have to say, yeah. this is for the betterment of myself. This is for the betterment of society that right. that I am compassionate towards them. Uh, so no, I, I completely that's agree. where I land. What I do you think? Agree. I, I do think that they're talking about Eros love here. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think there's any doubt just because of the, how the story yeah. plays out that that's what they're doing. Right. But I completely agree with you. <laughs> it is a bit of a naive statement if you're not being specific about that it is that Eros kind of love, because there are so many other ways of understanding love. And most of those other ways, you can reason yourself into them. Um, there's always some emotion that's part of it. Uh, but I did like that description. And I really liked uh, thinking of it as a vapor or a dream. And that because of how it comes about, there's no way to actually 100% know if it's uh, ever real or if it's ever the truth, or if it's just this kind of human madness uh, that we yeah. kind of uh, are, are, are attracted to and can't let go of. So anyway, there's other quotes that I was going to cover, but we, we, we've gone on and on already about some really interesting uh, stuff in this movie. And I've enjoyed the conversation so far, but I've been very much, there are quotes that I didn't use because I was hoping that you'll end up using. We'll see because that, like I said, this is some great clever writing. I think there's some good writing going on. So we're going to take a quick drop have a, another sip of my uh, cough medicine. And then we, <laughs> we will come back on the other side with our Theo Politico segment. Welcome back to the Moonshine Jesus Show. We are moving into our Theopolitico segment as we talk about 3,000 years of longing. And you set this up perfectly, Mark, because what I have bought for this segment is a series of quotes. Of quotes. Can I say something that I meant to say at the very end of that last segment? Yes. There was also a quote that I felt like summed the movie within the movie. And that quote was, despite all the whiz-bang, we remain bewildered. For me, that's kind of the perfect mm. description of the movie. Mm -hmm. So anyway, <laughs> I'm very interested to see what quotes you picked up. Okay. I, I want to start out with um, one that, that I've already lifted up. So my story is mm. true. You're more likely to believe it. If I tell it as a fairy tale, I want to start with yeah. that one, and I want to build from there. So okay. does that relate to the Bible in any way? And if so, how? Does that relate oh, to the biblical text? 100%. I mean, good storytelling allows us to hear 
and to process very difficult truths in a way that reality pulls up our defenses and makes us shut it down a little bit. So Mm -hmm. it 100% relates to it. That's the reason Jesus mostly taught in parables rather than just stating truths, taught in parables, because it gives you more to hold on to. You push it out from me into this other space. It's easier to look at it from a distance and analyze it and begin to try to understand who am I or or what's going on in the story and and, and does it mean anything to me ultimately? Mm -hmm. So I think it's an incredible technique. It's one of the reasons that my first undergraduate degree was in in English, because I was so fascinated with the way that telling stories and storytelling really allows us to talk about very difficult subjects. So yeah, that's, I I definitely think so. And we see it throughout the Bible, even in the Old Testament, you know, a lot of people want to take that, uh, most of it literally, but the fact is the, the, the priest and everyone who put those stories together understood the value of storytelling. The, the, the Jewish, the Jewish rabbi who, who assembled a lot of that understood this does not have to be factual it just needs to tell a truth which is what most of the stories do some of them start with basics that are true like there was a king named david but he was very small in a very small area and they build off of that and create these stories that tell us larger truths and i think there's great value in that i mean what was your take yeah yeah a hundred percent i i think it would do Christians good in the 21st century to recognize that ancient people looked around and tried to explain the way the world, why the world was the way it was. And so they created stories and myths to help people understand that. And they understood that, that that was the purpose of it. It wasn't ever meant to be taken literally. You mentioned parables as well. And I think one of the powers of parable is that you can recognize the truth in the parable without having to ask whether it actually happened or not. No one ever asks if there actually was a good Samaritan who came along because you understand the power of the story. And so if we would view the biblical text in that whole way, uh, like a parable, uh, it would transform the way we saw the Bible and it wouldn't be an idol for us anymore. And boy, wouldn't that be nice. Wouldn't that be fantastic. (laughs) And I can already tell by the way that you're talking and the way that this question is going. I think I know what your next quote is, but I can't wait to see if I've, if I've got it. Let's, let's see. Uh, so the next the next quote, and this is, well, it's kind of in chronological order of, of where they came in the show. Okay. So, All right. so I might be off then. It's everything was a mystery. What else could we do but resort to stories? So this is at the conference where they're yeah. they're giving a lecture and they say everything was a mystery in the ancient world. What else could we do but resort to stories? Is that uh, so? Do you think that that's the reason that uh, that ancient people cre- have stories is to solve mysteries, or why do you think we have these kind of mythological stories in general? I I think that there's multiple reasons that we have them. Mm -hmm. One of the key reasons is exactly that, that there are things that we now understand as science that Mm -hmm. weren't in the realm of understanding in those particular ages. And there was a need to understand what's going on. You know, why does the sun rise and set? What's going on? And so you create these stories around it to give some kind of a too much mystery in life makes us feel unsettled. And that is very difficult. It can, it can create a very anxious life. And so there's great 
reason for having these mythical stories because when they were told they weren't mythical they were what they un they really tried they to try to make sense out of reality and what was going on and gave them some sense of calmness and understanding and control of what's going on around them because let's face it life is not something we have any real control over we we like to think we do we like to try to mm. Uh, believe that we have some control. So it's great to have these stories that give, that reinforce our sense of control. Because if we were 100% honest about how random life is, I think it would scare the shit out of most. <laughs> how little we have control over. Yeah. 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 yeah you're right. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it, meaning making is so important because it does mm -hmm. help to ground us and helps Absolutely. us to understand the world. But uh, you're you are so right that it's still uh, kind of beyond comprehension in a lot of ways and beyond our control. Mm -hmm. Which leads me to the next quote. Yes, uh, they say mythology is what we knew back then. Science is what we know so far. Sooner or later, our creation stories are replaced by the narrative of science painstaking science and all gods and monsters outlive their original purpose and are reduced yeah. to metaphor true or false mark 100 true that was the quote i thought you were going for I, I had to build up to it yeah, you know absolutely. I, it was, it was build, great build it was well yeah. played it was very well played i think that's my favorite <laughs> quote of, i don't know there's so many great quotes in this movie the, the movie yeah. isn't something anyone needs to rush out and, and what watch but it is really I would just say the writing is very, very well done in this. There, yeah. uh, even I think Edris Alba's uh, was incredible. Alba was incredible. I thought mm -hmm. Tilda kind of wasn't her normal, crazy, interesting, engaging character. So anyway, th the quote though, back to it was incredible. And of course, yeah, sooner or later, uh, 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 mythology has to give way to science because that mythology is ignorance trying to be science, ultimately. Ignorance trying to be science. And so as we learn more and as we figure out um, what's really going on and recognize and understand that our stories were false, uh, it, it, it lets us put them into the realm of metaphor. And there's great, there's still great value in them. So it doesn't, that it doesn't change their value. It changes how they have value. So originally the value was this explains what's going on. And then once we learn the science and recognize that that isn't explaining what's going on, it gives us the opportunity to go back and see them as metaphor and gain yet another level of depth of what can we learn from this? What might be taught? What, what core tr real truths were the folks who told those stories holding on to to create those stories? And I, th I think there's a great value in that. What do you think? Yeah, so I I agree I agree with the quote and I and I don't. Uh, so I think that in some ways that yes, uh, obviously uh, science explains things that mythology is trying to explain and uh, and offers us real explanations of that. But I think also their purposes are different. And I yep. think that I think mythology is really trying to ultimately explain fundamental truths about life. And uh, and science is trying to explain facts about why the how the world works. So I think I think myths at, answer the question of why and science answers the question of how. And so I think mm. fundamentally, maybe they're trying to answer different questions. Uh, hmm. Maybe in the maybe in the ancient world there wasn't a difference. I think it, right. I think in the modern world 
there is. Um, Absolutely. There is a difference. And, I, and that's where I would go on it. In the ancient yeah. world, maybe there wasn't a difference because they thought they were answering the how. They did think that that's what they were doing. Um, not based on a lot of facts as much as just creative imagination based on some truths. But, uh, yeah, I can hear exactly what you're saying. Yeah, and I think I think if uh, if modern Christians in particular could get our heads around uh, a difference between truth and fact, a difference between how and why, we would lose the the folks who say want to continue to believe in a literal seven day creation of the <laughs> earth and all kinds right. of terrible theology like that. Okay, so Mark, one criticism uh, yeah. that, of this movie. Uh, has been actually the dynamic between the jinn and yeah. Alethea. And one reviewer mm -hmm. said this, the idea of a black jinn and a white English woman in a battle of wits over, narr uh, over narratives real and fictional are apt to strike a dissonant chord with some. Yeah. What, what do you think about that dynamic? Mark? Yeah, uh, that, that, that was problematic for for me in that we have this white English woman who basically enslaves this black gin uh, by not finishing those questions or those, those, those uh, um, wishes. Um, admittedly, he was somewhat involved with being okay with that, but that becomes really complicated. Was he like he had to be okay with it because if he got really right. mad about it, then she might not do it whatsoever. So I, that I found incredibly pro problematic. Now, ultimately, she does make the right choice with her final wish that he goes to the place he belongs and that if possible, you know, would be with her when he can kind of thing. She ultimately makes the right wish, but that doesn't really excuse that this is a trope in a lot of storytelling of a white woman entrapping a person who is other. I mean, there's, that's the other part of this is that it's a white woman uh, ultimately having a relationship with a person that, that is described as somehow other. So th that part of the storytelling, I felt like they kind of missed out on in the, from what I understand in the book that this is based on uh, that, that's not a real issue. The casting is what caused this issue. Um, and I did, I did find it somewhat problematic. What did, what did, did you pick up on anything else? Yeah. I, the other piece of that, uh, that bothered me some was, okay, she's this, uh, PhD narratologist mm -hmm. who decides what is, what is true about these stories yeah. and is, and he is giving his real life experience of how he mm -hmm. experienced these things. And, yeah, they uh, and it is competing for meaning, and ultimately, it seems like it is her interpretation of the meaning that is given superiority. I think, Absolutely. and so yeah, I think and so, right. yeah. I, I found I found that mm -hmm. troubling, and it felt odd from the very beginning. And as it went on, and she did yeah. actually enslave him, yeah. it, it really it, it really felt awkward and uh like we could have done a better job of yeah, navigating yeah. those it was the rest dynamics. of it was so so well written and so clever yeah and and i think maybe they thought that by having him sort of be part of the decision that she doesn't ask all three questions and, and that he fought so hard uh even as as him being there was causing him great bodily harm 
Um, I, I think that they thought that that made up for it somehow, but it really didn't, did it? It really didn't. It no, really no. was problematic. So, yeah. hey, there is a lot we could delve into with something this rich, but, yes. you know, it's time to go to <laughs> our last segment, the yes. Make Me Look Stupid segment. We've got to leave ourselves time to do this. And, Mark, uh, did I steal any of your questions today? You stole no, no. questions. So, no so now questions. I've got to figure out which one. I've got to figure out which one to ask. I usually I usually leave it to you. You steal all of them except for the one that I am left with. So. None of them. Okay. I all right. Well, have some more of your cough syrup and <laughs> yes, come back and, and go to the Make Me Look Stupid segment. Welcome back to the Moonshine Jesus Show. You're joining us for our favorite segment, the Make Me Look Stupid segment, where we commence to trying to make our co-host look stupid. Uh, and as the host of this segment today, I am not going to give you first go. Uh, <laughs> okay. Don't want you, I don't want you to have any right. other chances to steal my question. And this is a question that I was really looking forward to asking you. I really wasn't sure if it might come up during the show. So it was yep. kind of like my first question. I was like, eh, I'm going to be ready because that one might not work because we may, may right. we may cover it. So here's my question. At the beginning of the movie, she says it is as true as any other concept of science in terms of the story she's telling, but that she has to tell, uh, tell us it as a fairy tale so that we can believe her. From a narrative point of view, since she was a narrative narratologist, do you think it all really happened? Or is it exactly a fairy tale like she made up in her coping skills as a kid? I don't think it really happened. Uh, and I I think, I actually think she, she kind of dreamt it all. I think it was all in her mind. Mm. So I, I think, I think, I, I think that uh, the pieces where she interacted with other people, I think that really happened. But I you don't think, so? think that. So if the pieces where she if the pieces where she interacted with other people really happened, how do you explain yeah. her going next door to the two women yeah. who and giving them treats and the gin showing up and them seeing her if that was real? Yeah, we, they didn't speak with him in any way. And so yeah, I, they, they, yeah. they kind of, they right. kind of reacted to, they reacted to, to something, but we don't know yeah. what they reacted to no, uh, necessarily. So I think, so I'm going to take the position yeah. that, no. uh, that even though she said that, that, that she, she has a history of kind of seeing mm -hmm. things. I yep. think her, her interaction with the gin was entirely in her head. I don't think no one else, uh, I, yeah. I, right. I don't think anyone else ever saw him. I, I'm going well, to, I'm going to the kids the, in the park, the kids in the park at the very end, kick the soccer ball. And he does that cool little gin thing. and makes it bounce around in impossible ways and they get the ball and they're all impressed. I, I think it's, I think it's in her head. I think, I think she thought all that up. I, I was honestly, <laughs> that's, I was that's, honestly, playing, that's, I was honestly playing devil's advocate because I'm completely on board with you. 
Um, <laughs> those are the two moments that kind of made me wonder. But yeah. look, here's the thing. And, yeah. and I think they intentionally give it away at the end. And besides all the stuff yeah. I talked about in the first segment, where there's so yeah. much in his stories that are reflections of her story, uh, yeah. there's all of that. But when we go into her home, she has a collection of uh, small vases, vases with caps on them, much yeah. like there was in one of the stories. On her wall is a picture of Einstein, who we see in the very right. first meeting of the gin. I think they give us, they drop so many hints of this is just stuff that her natural life has created in her head, whether it was a dream or where, whether it was her living into her job of, of, of doing narrative as a way of telling story and understanding self, yeah. I feel like that's what was definitely going on. Good. Good. I thought you were going to say the complete opposite. You're, I thought you were going to say, no. <laughs> that's, why I wanted, that's why I wanted to play devil's advocate with just a few minutes. I wanted to see where you went with it. Those, those really were my two sticking points. Like the times that someone else saw the gin, those were them. And I actually think that, I, I disagree with you on that small point. I don't think those Tell were me. real. I, th- I don't yeah. think those were real. I think both of those yeah. were just fanciful in her head. Like we sit around in the house yeah. and go, oh, you know what I ought to do? I ought to go give the late neighbors next yeah. door some of this wonderful treat. I-, I think it was just a fanciful that she ended up recording in what was ultimately the book that she wrote that the story of the movie was supposedly her retelling. So your yeah. turn, sir. Make me look stupid. Okay. So as you said, um, there, um, there are parallel pieces of Alethea's story and the Jin's yeah. story and yeah. with the other women who are yeah. uh, who interact with him. Yeah. Do you think she sees herself as somehow connected to those other women? Or do you think that she is in, in some way uh, a reincarnation of, of those women? Um, I do think she sees herself in those women because I think all of this is, is a, a, a yet a, a actual fairy tale that she made up. And it, part of it is pulling out core parts of who she thinks she is, but might not be able to express in real life and telling the story in a way that this amazing, wonderful gin who has magical powers and is, you know, greater than human finds interest in. And I think part of it is her building up, trying to say these things that I hide away, these emotions, these, these longings that I have um, are actually great attributes that I need to learn how to open up and to show a little more readily because there is something uh, engaging about them. And, and someone as special as the gin could really see value in me. So yeah, I definitely think that, that in, the, in the realm of her storytelling, she definitely sees herself in each of them. Yeah, I think she, I think she does as well, and I I think not only does she see herself in each of them, but as she's imagining this story, she yeah. sees herself being each of these, and yes. and each of them kind of has a a particular piece of her personality. Yeah. And the right. the scene that kind of drove it home for me is remember when she's in the airplane on the way to the conference, mm-hmm. and she's reading furiously. And she's doing oh. this weird reading speed thing. Reading. It's, it's a with, speed reading technique, right? But and and so she's yeah. and and she's okay. And, and so and the, the third is doing the same speed in the third story thing, we right? see her. And she's yeah. wearing glasses with uh, the glass holders that are very similar to hers. Like there's yeah. no doubt. I mean, you've got one who is trapped and uh, and feels trapped, and she definitely feels trapped uh, in her own 
past and her lack of emotions. You got yeah. one who's highly intelligent and wants nothing more than to learn. And we see a picture of Einstein in her house. Clearly, that's her. So, yeah, I, I'm completely with you. Uh, there, it, there are some clear um, personality traits of herself that she pushes onto these characters. And I think part of that is having the gin fall in love with them and saying, these are good character traits that I sometimes hide away. Well, I, I think, Mark, uh, ultimately, I think at the end of the day, maybe I wouldn't have stood up and, and given this uh, six-minute standing ovation <laughs> yeah. to, the, to the movie, but I think it's worth watching, and I think that it's, yeah. it's valuable for people who think a lot about ancient stories and how we make meaning out of I completely stories. agree, and I think it's valuable for people who really uh, appreciate good storytelling. This is, this is yeah. great storytelling. Um, it's weird to come from uh, the director of, of Fury Road with right. this high end pacing and crazy, like, can I keep up? Can I understand what's going to have this very slow, methodical storytelling that at times is almost lethargically slow? I mean, it's weird. That part is difficult, but if you push through it, I think there's great value, like you said, in what's being, being told and understanding mythology and understanding how stories really do help us create meaning in our own lives. George Miller is a bit of a chameleon, though. He also yes, did uh, Babe, Pig in the right. City. Pig in the so, City. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's hard to say much true. for certain about his movie-making style. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he, he doesn't really have a style. He was also one of the four folks in the Twilight movie. I mean, he, he jumps around genres and does all kinds of fun and interesting things. <laughs> Uh, speaking of fun and interesting things, should oh. we tell them what we're going to watch next week? Oh, yeah. I'm so excited about this. We've been waiting literally all year long to get to this point. So uh, coming out this Thursday is Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. And it's this gigantic tale. In the first one, in the first Spider-Man uh, animated Spider-Man movie, we saw the multiverse and we saw several uh, spider people. In this one, we're, we're going to have an embarrassment of spider people as they try to protect uh, the multiverse, and they end up pitting themselves against each other. I think it's going to be fantastic. It was a, The first one was brilliant as they switched back and forth between types of animation style and somehow did it seamlessly. It was incredible, great storytelling, great characters in it. I can't wait, man. Me neither. I, I agree. It's an animated movie, but I think one of the best, the first one was one of the best superhero movies I, I've completely ever agree. seen. It's probably in my top five superhero Yeah, I completely movies. agree. I love completely it. agree. Yeah. So I hope this one lives up. Uh, it's, as, it's as good as the first one. Absolutely. I can't wait. It comes out on, it's released on Friday, right? So people will have enough time to, to go and see it. And we've also got an event coming up ah, next yeah. month. The we Wild do. Goose Festival. Yeah. I'm really wait, excited man. about this. It is going to be exciting. Uh, we Once again, we still at this point don't quite know when we'll be on or what stage we'll be at. It might be the, the Goose Cast stage, but we will let you know once we are told. But we do have a nice discount for you. So uh, we'd love for you to come and join us in person because we're giving giveaways. We're doing our Shine Jesus yeah. Shine t-shirts. We'll probably have some uh, Moonshine Jesus uh, glass mugs that look like uh, the old uh, uh, um, lightning, white lightning moonshine jugs. Um, yeah. And so we hope that you'll come and join us. And when you uh, register for your tickets, 
just use the discount code of moonshine and i think you'll get a, a discount that you can appreciate all right i can't wait and it's going to be fun to be in person Mark. for the only I the third wait. time ever only the third time we'll do this podcast in person mm-hmm. and it will be a lot of fun okay Absolutely. well cool i can't wait to see you next week mark me too sir can't wait to talk about the spider-verse yeah yeah all right folks thank you for tuning in to the moonshine jesus show we are so thankful for those who have been watching live and also those who are downloading the podcast thank you so much for being loyal listeners if it weren't for you we couldn't be us so thanks again and don't forget tune in next week to the moonshine jesus moonshine jesus no Jesus.